Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Whaler, Adweek's 2022 Creator Agency of the Year. What is the creator economy and why should you care? And is it all just fun and games on TikTok? Or can more serious and even intellectual creators find a voice? To answer this question, we're going to be speaking with creator, film theorist, and LGBTQIA activist Rowan Ellis. Rowan has gained a big community of followers with a series of long, sophisticated videos that look at Hollywood through the lens of queer theory. She's introduced her audience to concepts like queer coding, queer baiting, and her own term, queer catching. Ever wonder what Disney villains have in common with gay stereotypes? She can tell you. But there's much more to explore with Rowan. So welcome to this episode of the Everything is Better with Creators podcast, where we go above the usual and dive into a pool that's a little bit more deep. Go ahead and hit him with that intro, please. Everything is better with creators. The podcast that takes a deep dive into all things creator economy. Produced and presented by Whaler. Whaler, we power the creator economy. With your hosts, Ashley Rudder, Emma Harmon, Jamie Goodfriend, and Marco Batozzi. Coming up, we're getting right into this episode with our big interview with author, video essayist, podcast host, and LGBTQIA plus educator, Rowan Ellis. You better get ready to take some notes. Just a reminder that Everything is Better with Creators is brought to you by Whaler. The Whaler Way combines tech, talent, and creative social strategy to match brands with creators to produce authentic content that people really want to see. Whaler is democratizing the creative process for brands and creators by empowering a global talent network of thousands of influencers, tastemakers, creatives, and storytellers to connect you to your target audience, making advertising more inclusive, diverse, and effective. Check out more at Whaler. That's W-H-A-L-A-R dot com. And now it's time to bring up the headliner of the evening. Please welcome to the stage The Big Interview. Everything is better with creators. Everyone, everyone, Rowan Ellis is in the building. I just can't even believe it. I'm so happy to have you here, Rowan. I'm so happy you? to be here, Ashley. This is so exciting. Oh, I'm thrilled. Uh, hey, first off, I have to say I'm a I'm a fan. Ooh, I am an absolute fan. And when I saw you on the schedule, I just was like, oh, this is about to, we were about to bring some thunder <laughs> to the podcast. So let's get cracking here. And I just would love for you to 
give us a little insight on your background. And here on the podcast, I love it when people punctuate their storyline with, you know, those aha moments. Like now that you are in the position of life where you are now, what were some of those pivotal moments that were like, oh, wow, this that really was something that led me to where I am today? Or, oh, wow, this was a, uh, a core memory that definitely is a part of the fingerprint of who I am. So please enlighten us all. Yeah. So I, um, kind of do YouTube. That's my thing. I do video essays about LGBTQ plus topics, um, and issues. And originally as with most people was not thinking this would be my job. I was just like, Oh, sure. I finished my master's in, um, advanced theater practice was the title degree, which makes it sound way fancier than it was. Um, it was essentially just all the weird bits of theater, like improvisation and devising and experimental stuff, like stuff that I think is a lot more cool now that, you know, you've got like secret cinema and even like things like the Bridgerton experience would be the kind of thing I did on my degree, um, like audience participation. And basically I got partway through that degree and we had a load of practitioners come in who were like top of their field, the most amazing, incredible theater practitioners that we were like so in awe of. And I just remember someone asking them like, how long was it like after you started your theater company that you could do this full time? And they were like, we don't do this full time. And I was like, ah, I knew that theater wasn't going to be necessarily a stable career, but I didn't realize it was literally not a career. So, um, I finished my master's and was like, Hmm, maybe I won't be doing, uh, theater full time. Uh, and in fact have done zero theater since leaving my master's degree. Apologies to my lecturers. Um, but still, still like really, really missed. Cause I'm an absolutely massive nerd The research and writing essays and, um, kind of just getting stuck into a topic and digging into it. Um, what I didn't miss was having to uh, do all of the bibliography at the end and the very particular kind of citations. Um, and it turns out YouTube is great for just researching, writing a script and not having to do very specific citations. Uh, so I kind of, I, I found that the hack is do YouTube. Although I did work for him an online magazine for a while and did social media for a bunch of people who were like journalists and writers. And they were like, Oh, so you do our job, but then you do extra steps. Like you then have to record it and edit it and do all of that stuff. And I was like, Oh no. Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought I'd really found the hack, but actually I'm doing like extra, <laughs> extra work in comparison to all of my journalist friends who are just like, yeah, we just write it. And then that's it. It's like, Oh, that's genius. It's so smart. Um, but I do. Really well, love- I mean, but you've but you've made like a whole new IP for yourself. Like you've taken um, the power of an author and have, you know, plus that through visualizing yourself on YouTube. Yeah, it's very I, I really enjoy the the side of it. That is the, the video side. Um, not necessarily because I love to see my own face and hear my own voice. I think a lot of people will agree with me who do YouTube <laughs> that it's very weird to have to edit your own voice. And I find no, a lot of people find it quite difficult at the beginning to get used to that because you're just like, do I sound like that? Do I look, oh God. Um, but now it's kind of like, <laughs> I'm just like, oh yeah, this is just YouTube Rowan who I'm looking at this w- kind of alternate version of myself that I have to edit. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it, it allows me to write a lot. Um, 
uh, and to dig into individual topics each month. And that's so exciting for me. And so for a long time, I was doing it with like no kind of interest in doing it full time, just, just vibing, just talking about topics I was interested in. Um, initially I really wanted to do, I think, long form content, but YouTube at the time was very much into the whole, it's a four minute video, everyone, like nobody likes Mm -hmm. to watch long videos. And then gradually it got longer. I know that for people who were earning a living, that 10 minute ad marker was like a big thing for a while. It was like, okay, we've got Uh to get at least over 10 minutes so we can get that mid roll in there, which um, I'm kind of grateful wasn't necessarily something that affected my content because I wasn't particularly like, oh, I need to get the ads in because it's my, my like, the way that I support myself. Um, right. And so I came to like long form content cause I really loved it and I really wanted to do it rather than it being like necessarily a career decision. Um, and so it's allowed right. me now that that's huge. It, exactly. Now that it is my career that I'm able to do that. Um, and also enjoy it at the same time, which is the goal, I guess, is doing something that you like as a job. And I feel super lucky that I'm able to to do that now. Absolutely. So tell me, like, what is the timeline? How long have you been for everyone? How long have you been a creator on YouTube? Oh, so I originally actually when I was a teenager used to do video responses um, back when they were like an actual thing that you did, like they would come up under a video, like these people who have responded with their own video, like on a webcam, no mic, no setup, like honestly, no lighting. I used to just do it. I swear like the sun had gone down. It was like three pixels on my face. Um, and that was, uh, that was like way, way back when I was a teenager and did a few videos like that. Completely forgot. I even had a YouTube channel except to watch videos. Uh, and then I kind of started it back up once I was out of, uh, my master's. So maybe like eight years at this point. Um, but it's not until kind of more recently, much more recently, about a year ago now that I sort of went full time on YouTube as it were. Um, but I've had a very slow transition process because I, I was working at Penguin Random House and I quit my job there, but had a three month notice period, which was quite a long time. And then also they subsequently took a very long time to replace me. So I've only technically dropped out of my cover work and freelancing for them like a few months ago. Uh, so it's been a nice slow transition period into full-time YouTube, which has actually been quite nice to be honest. That's so good. You know what, Ron? Like, I think that there is really something there in the sense of you found out how, how much you wanted to do on YouTube and it never necessarily stopped, but uh, I love the fact that your work is coming from not necessarily from a place of monetization, but from a true place of interest. And with you sharing, um, again, like you are so well read, like you are truly, like you're the real deal. Like you're not just coming from, you know, being someone who has an opinion, which again is just fine for those who are, but you really have studied this. You have a degree, you have degrees behind it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it was a, uh... It's a lot of, essentially, I always have about a hundred tabs open at any one time is, is the way that I live my life. Just like I can see in the background, I've got, uh, in like a different window from where we are, there's a two VNA ones, uh, a couple of things from the Google arts and culture, a guardian article, uh, some opinion pieces, which are all around the idea of like queer art, which is like, I don't even know if I'm going to do a video on it. I'm just 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 suddenly had an interest, which to be honest, I think is partly the ADHD, like hyper-focusing on a topic, which is quite useful when you align your sort of neurodivergent 
special interests with a topic that you're going to do for a video, it makes for quite a a good process, I think, because you just kind of get obsessed and get get super, super into it. Totally. I'm a part of the ADHD club myself. So yeah, the, the nice. foxholes are a real thing. But, <laughs> but boy, are there rainbows on the other side of that? You're like, wow. So I just uncovered something interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this is so, so good. So let's like talk about, let's shift a little bit um, and progress here into you walking us through when you started to notice that your content was gaining momentum um, with followers or comments, like really where, what were the first inclinations? Because again, you said eight years, like I know you had audience interaction, but you said like the last year you really made that serious. Like where within that time frame did you see things changing with your audience and what was that thing that hit the gas? Um, so what I think is really interesting, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day actually about this, is looking at people, looking at channels, going to their videos and then searching by most viewed um, because you can see how many mm. videos do they have which have sort of gone viral, I guess, like gotten over a million views or uh, are way, way bigger than their um subscriber count because you can kind of tell okay those are clearly the videos that bought like new subscribers in that have kind of reached outside of their audience um and I don't have too many of those I don't really have like that one video that did like wildly well Mm -hmm. and brought a ton of people in um I think like my most viewed video is under half a million views um and so it's uh it's kind of interesting. Like my views are just tend to be very uh-huh. steady. Like, um, I'm really happy with, with where they are. They're very consistent and they're like very good in terms of, uh, engagement, I guess. Like I'm really happy with how yes. people engage with it, but it's like a very particular audience. Like I really feel like when I'm making my videos, it reaches, uh, these similar people who are interested in these topics. Um, and so have ended up with a comment section, mm-hmm. which I'm, like so so happy with with a community that I'm so happy with with this like little group of people who are just vibing basically so I do premieres for all of my videos and like people will comment in the premieres about how nice it is if they've managed to catch it for the first time because everyone's just so Mm. supportive like even if they disagree with what I'm saying and they're like oh I don't know what the Rowan's thought about this or it's always with this idea of like let's have a discussion let's have a let's talk about what we know about the topic um and so it's never, there's never really been a point at which I suddenly am like, who are all these people? Oh my gosh, I'm suddenly so many people right. are subscribing. This is so wild. Yes. Um, it's kind of just been like bit by bit, um, which was really exciting. That's rare. It's very, very rare, Rowan. Like that's, and that's such a healthy place to be also as a creator, because you're not constantly chasing that, that dragon of like the next viral thing. It's just really, truly rooted and seated in the topic of interest in you as a creator and your opinion, that's, that is incredible. Yeah. I mean, I do think that, cause there's, there's always going to be a part, I think of creators because of this idea of like the viral hit that like launches everything. Um, and then the downside of that, I guess is always, you know, people who subscribe because they see the, this one viral video that was like a little bit different to your normal content or did it a different way that mm-hmm. either, you know, you see people who end up having to feel like they have to shift their content just to be similar to that thing that went viral rather than necessarily being the thing they enjoy. Obviously it's great if those two things align, Mm. but I feel very Mm. happy that even though I haven't had this like 
overnight success, like, oh my gosh, I've been working so hard and now it's suddenly paid off with this one video. Like there's really good positives to the other side of it as well. Um, and I do think that the, the thing that I, the one thing I remember from back in the day actually is way, way, way earlier in my YouTube career, which was sort of reaching 10,000 subscribers, which I think mm. is kind of at the point in which you no longer are like a smaller YouTuber who's able to like reply to every comment and engage with like every mm -hmm. person who's engaging with you on more of an individual level. It suddenly became like, right. oh, this is like, I, I don't have the time for this anymore. Like this is really strange. Right. There are people watching this who I don't know. Like I've never seen them before on my video of this is like a new person commenting. Um, and I remember at the time, like this was a discussion that a lot of people were having. I kind of um, made some really good friends in YouTube who sort of were growing uh, kind of in the same time as me. And we were all finding something similar that it felt like, okay, 10,000 subscribers is when suddenly you one, get a little kick from the algorithm, I think, because they sort of, the algorithm is like, oh, lots of people are actually consistently interested in this person. And so it feels right. like the growth yes. does speed up once you reach that. But also it was like, oh, this is, something that's bigger than me like people are more likely to be maybe having conversations with each other in the comments rather than me getting to discuss stuff with them which i think is like a really interesting like line to be um to be crossing right. at that point that's you know what that's so interesting that you said that because you know community is all of those things it's like something that you can respond to as well as people having healthy debates and banters amongst themselves um, around your content so so interesting so let's well, hold on. I want to, I want to go back just a little, a little, little bit mm. into what you were just discussing. Cause like growing this following, um, the consistency has to be there again. We're talking about eight years or, I mean, was it always where was it, what was the cadence of posting along that time? And then did you start to change it at some point and really found like more of yourself somewhere within that? Yeah, I think I, originally it was very sparse. It was just like occasionally. And then I was like, oh, I actually feel like I'm going to try and do this more often. And at that point, it was that sort of videos that mm, the general, I think, received wisdom was like four minutes, the sort of Vlogbrothers style, like, oh, four minutes is what everyone does. And even then I was like pushing right. it a little bit. And I was always thinking like, if I'm making these videos at 10 minutes and I feel like I'm just skimming the surface of these topics, but no one's going to watch a video for more than 10 minutes, right? And I do think that we have a lot, like the the podcasting community like we have a lot uh to thank them for within youtube because i feel like right. in a world in which a lot of people are criticizing people for like you know having a really low attention span and you know just right. having to grab people immediately i think that podcasting allowed people an outlet where they had to like really concentrate and listen for like a prolonged period of time um and that youtube became a thing that people felt like oh this is worth sitting down rather than comparing it to television where they'd be comparing it to like right. a half hour show that had a huge budget behind it. And they'd be like, would I spend half an hour watching YouTube or watching this really well-produced show? I'll watch the show. But with, I think with podcasting, it really became this idea of like, actually I can totally watch or listen to user kind of like creator content for, for half an hour, an hour. Um, and so we've obviously had like a, this boon in video essays and long form content, um, which I do actually um, hear from people who treat them like podcasts sometimes, like they mm -hmm, might watch it uh -huh. through once if it's like a particularly visual video, but they'll listen to it while they're like cooking or tidying their house. Right. Because really with the, with the video essays and they like the, the thing that's being said is 
is probably the most important that's being illustrated by visuals that they can kind of understand it as it goes along. Um, So for me, it was like, I'm going to do short videos. I'm going to do them once a week. Um, This is going to be my schedule, maybe a little bit less than that. And then as soon as I went to videos that were like an hour long um, or like 40 minutes long, it was like, "Mm, maybe not sustainable to do these once a week. I think I might have to slow down a little bit. Um, So for like a few years now, probably for like three years or so, it's been like a once a month and sometimes twice a month sort of upload um, schedule. And I think that was also compounded by getting, uh, starting a Patreon because that uh, I have that set monthly. And so I was like, I need the promise to someone who joins the Patreon is like, there will be a piece of content each month. Like when you're paying for a month, you will be paying for at least one Uh video essentially. um, And maybe two, uh, as well as all of the sort of perks in the tiers on Patreon as well. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. That's so amazing because I do think that you are representing a style of creator that is important to highlight because, again, it's not always about like this high antic, um, hyper comedy, super, like you said, super short, that there are there's room for all sorts of conversations. And because audio and and podcasting is so relevant because people want to get into their interests. They want to see what's like and listen on a, on a very serious level to dive into all of the niches that they want to get into. So that is where you find the commitment to time that you don't always see like with, with something on television, because again, it's Mm -hmm. a part of a niche or it's a part of something that someone wants to research and spend the time listening to. Yeah, definitely. And I think like the, the niche thing is so interesting. Like it's, this is always the conversation with creative. If you get a bunch of creators together, the niche conversation always comes up because it's always, there's always people asking for advice on like, did I go too niche? Do I need, I want to change my niche. How do I do that? And I think in the UK, mm-hmm. we had this wave of YouTubers who were sort of like the pioneers of professional YouTube that everyone sort of knows. So there's obviously like the Zoellas of the world and um, those mm-hmm. kind of people who had makeup as their first thing. And then they realized like, okay, I can do beauty. And then it was like, I guess lifestyle works with this and lifestyle then gets travel. And then if I'm having kids that becomes parenting content. And so you can start to like go outwards with that niche. But ultimately a lot of them were like personality focused. It was like, you're subscribing to this person. Obviously daily vlogs were a huge part Mm -hmm. of that back in the day. Um, but I think the difficulty comes when you have a bunch of people who 10 years later are like, I'm in my thirties now. Like I'm a different person than the person that you subscribed to 10 years ago. And you're also a different person. So how do I mm-hmm. navigate being authentic, which is what yes. is so interesting in the first place about these kind of creators right. while also not alienating everyone who's already interested in my content. And I, I think that that's like I've, I, I have managed to sidestep that in that I kind of came to YouTube when I was 
like had was an adult essentially. Like I was, I knew who I was Mm -hmm. and I wasn't making content that was focused around my personality. It was kind of much more about other content and research. And, and I was kind of just like a narration through which I could talk about my interests. Um, and that that was kind of the niche was just what is interesting to me. Um, but I do think that there's still like a pressure with like video essayists, for example, um, I do a lot of LGBTQ plus content, but what if I want to do something that's separate from that? Like I, ju- I did a video on ADHD recently. I did one on acne representation um, was my last video. Mm-hmm. Which I love. Thank you. And so, yeah, it's, it's looking at sometimes you do have that moment of like, oh my gosh, uh, if I do this, am I going to just absolutely bomb because my subscribers are not interested in this particular topic. They didn't subscribe to me for that. So they won't watch it. So the almighty algorithm will be like, nobody watched this in the first hour. Let's scrap it, kick it into the bin. Like the, this is the end for you. Or will it reach a bunch of people who might not have otherwise subscribed to the channel, but they're like, oh, okay, this person's doing talking about representation in different ways. That's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And then kind of follow from that. So that niche question is, is always like such a hot topic about how to do it. And like, especially with the rise of TikTok, I think niching on TikTok is uh-huh. such a big thing. And I, Huge if I thing. was like making one from scratch, I would niche the hell out of TikTok because I feel like that's where, that's where it makes most sense. Um, totally. but I'm also, I also obviously have seen that trap over the years from YouTube where it works. If you're, if you can kind of separate yourself from it and if it's just like, okay, this is, this is a niche that either like is evergreen and I'm never going to get tired of it, or I'm going to acknowledge the fact right. it's my niche for now and that maybe I'll grow out of it and I can kind of leave and do something that I still feel committed to and interested in. Always so that's the thing. So, so there's so many, there's so many parameters for creators to think mm-hmm. about in that term. And, you know, it is also hard to do what you're just talking about, which is, you know, walking into a platform and, being willing to let it die um, because you know that you're going to outgrow it, but you're using it as a, a catalyst to broaden your reach as a whole. Uh, it's just like, ooh, how are we like masterminding these huge plans of, you know, scaling your business? Mm. And, you know, how also are you uh, planning out your timeline? Because the volume is a real thing to get around and platform specific content is it's hard to, again, to scale as a single person who's not, doesn't have a, a large team or a production crew and all of these things. It's, it's, it's a lot to consider. And I think that that's what brands need to know is that creators are entrepreneurs and there are a lot of huge decisions that go into that. And being able to have access to you and have access to your audience is greater than this just like singular asset they're asking for from you. Like there's so much to consider when a a brand steps into your space that again, they are now becoming an important part of your Mm storyline and there's costs behind that and value behind that. Definitely. And I think that it's very, this, uh, idea of working with brands as a creator is such an interesting one because you're right. What are they paying for? I mean, I think I've seen a lot of creators be taken advantage of in a lot of ways by brands because they, they see it and they say, Oh, I don't, 
like, I don't know. Like, I don't know anyone in the industry who can tell me what I should be charging. I don't, is this too much? That feels mm, like too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't necessarily think about, it's not just, oh, this is how many subscribers I have. So it's not a lot. So I shouldn't charge a lot. When you see the amount of money that like videographers are charging for making the same video and not even having an audience, like literally just making the content and, and giving it to the brand right. who use on their own channels. It's a, uh-huh. it's a, it's, it is actually an amount of money. Like it's a job that other people do, but when you're yes. a creator, like you're doing that job and you're bringing your audience, you're bringing your expertise on the, what will work on the platform that you're on. Like there's a, there's a bunch of stuff that you're doing. Um, And so it's, Uh I think it's, I'm very, very into like transparency within pay on YouTube. Like, I think it's really important for creators to get, to be able to talk to each other. I think that when you don't have, you know, like a union, you don't have any kind of centralized system of how much people should get paid, um, what you're worth. Also like the fact that different companies can afford different amounts and to figure Uh out when you can step away from a deal that isn't working for you or when you can actually say, this is an organization that I know is like doing the best with their budget and we're going to figure out what we can do with them. Cause I really am passionate about this particular, uh, maybe it's like a charity mm-hmm. or an organization that's doing some good in your community, for example. Um, and uh-huh. so it's very like, I'm, I'm very into the idea of, you know, people being able to chat I, the amount of conversations. I really feel for people who are, have come up in the last couple of years during the pandemic, because these conversations used to happen all the time at events. Um, that people would go to like VidCon summer in the city was a really, really big one in the UK that, um, people basically it was like the VidCon, the VidCon that was in the UK before VidCon UK happened. Um, and people would not only would people, um, talk at the event, but afterwards everyone would go to the pub. They would go to the pub called the Fox. It was a whole thing everyone meet at the Fox afterwards. Um, and so even people Uh who hadn't gone to the event who are, you know, friends or creators who hadn't kind of, you know, they'd Uh been to summer in the city for a few years. They were like, there's not really anything else for me to do there. Um, would all just meet afterwards at the Fox and talk about this kind of stuff. And I remember the last, the last year that it happened, a bunch of us like absolutely jumping on this poor like new creator who had gone viral that year and suddenly she was like overwhelmed with these offers and we were like mm-hmm. you need to tell us what you've been offered we will tell you if it's good or not like we want you to actually be right. not taking advantage of and she was like so blessed overwhelmed she was just like oh my god I, I guess I need to think about this because we're like you bless you you don't know what's going on <laughs> how where did whaler how did whaler step into your life and how has your life changed since having managed having management on your side? Um, so I was realizing that potentially I could, if I took a step back from Penguin, which was an amazing job, but it was oh a busy job. It was, um, and it okay. included making videos as well. And I kind of just had this realization mm. of like, if I'm making these videos for someone else in a full-time job and then essentially doing another full-time job making videos for me, why don't I just have one full-time job making videos for myself? Um, And I am very risk averse. So I was like, until I can figure out if I can do this full-time, I don't like, I'm, I'm not going to do it because I'm like a little scaredy cat. And then the pandemic happened and, um, and I just saw so many friends like be made redundant, get furloughed, mm-hmm. have to like mm-hmm. their companies went under. And I was like, oh, you can fully, um, 
lose your job that's the nice safe job which is just like oh yeah I'm just I'm going in doing the nine to five I don't like it's fine or I like it but it's not like my passion so I was like what is the harm in trying the YouTube thing and then if it just all crashes and burns it's just like I lost my job at a company that went under cool I'll find another one Uh, and Uh as someone who started YouTube, like as an adult, it's like, I've had multiple office jobs. I feel quite confident being able to go back into the office work. It's not, you know, someone who's only done YouTube all their lives of which I have some friends who then suddenly were like, how do you work in an office? How do you get a job? Um, I don't, I don't never done this before. Um, so I was like, yeah, it's just going to be like, I, I, you know, the Rowan Ellis company went under and then I got a job again. So, I mean, knock on wood, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, and I, hopefully right. it won't. Uh, but it was me essentially looking at like, what is my average AdSense? What is my average Patreon income per month? Mm-hmm. And how much would I need to earn from brand deals, which I guess is kind of like the other bit of that pie chart that's kind of regular and, uh-huh. and reliant on the videos for me to be earning the same amount as I was at Penguin. And so I started looking for management, which is easier said than done because it's quite, it really involves again, a lot of like speaking to other people in the community and like seeing Uh, if these uh companies are trustworthy and trying to figure it out. Um, and had kind of talks and meetings with a bunch of them, um, with this, with like a certain number in mind for like, this is how much I would need to bring in. Is this plausible? Do Uh you think you could get it reliably? Like, does this work for you? Um, and I ended up speaking to Megan, who is my manager, um, who was originally at a different company and was like, yes, absolutely. I am 100% on board with Megan. And then uh, followed, followed her over to Whaler because I was like, no, I think I'm going to, I'm like, this is my person. Like, this is the the person that I um, want mm-hmm. to work with. And I'm so excited that I did. Um, it's been so, so worth it for to be honest, just the email anxiety alone. Uh, I'm that person who's like, I see an email I'm in my inbox and I'm like, absolutely not. Um, please leave. Like, it's actually like, I'll answer someone. I'll have like put it off and put it off and I'll finally answer someone. And then they'll reply to me really promptly. And I'm like, this is a hate crime. This is against me specifically. How could you answer my email and then make me have to answer another email? Um, and so even just like forcing Megan to, because essentially Megan does like a lot of actually much more important and cool and talented things, but mainly answering emails is the thing I'm like, we must thank Megan for the email answering. Um, alone, yes. <laughs> alone, just that alone. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been so great to have this like way off um, and it really feels like it's made such a difference. And I think as well, she, the big thing about Megan was, and the reason why I kind of went with her and I think uh, also went kind of moved with her was this idea of really understanding what kind of brands I wanted to work with, really understanding mm-hmm. what I was trying to do mm-hmm. with the channel. And I knew that like she um, was never, I just like had such faith that she was never going to come to me with a brand that was just miss the mark. Like I, I have kind of right. some non-negotiables and I just knew that as I was saying them, I was like, I know she already knows this. Like, I don't even think I need to say this, but I'm just going to do it anyway. So for example, like I, I don't ever want to work with a company who is like a sort of wellness weight loss style kind of company, just because mm-hmm. as someone who's had a history of disordered eating, I was like, this is not ever going to be something that I'm comfortable with. Um, And that was like already like, if there's anything even close to that, Megan will be like, okay, so 
here are some things that are skirting around the edge. So for example, like any food companies, like meal prep companies, for example, some of them as an option might have a low calorie option, something like that. So she'll always be really careful about like, here are some options, no pressure. Like this is, you know, we might be able to negotiate talking points. She's really up for Mm -hmm. any kind of experimental type stuff we might want to pitch to a brand. Um, So I do some stuff with ThreadUp, which is like this really great, it's kind of online thrift store. Um, And after I did my first video, I had a trans subscriber basically be like, thank you so much for this discount code. Cause I basically now have a full wardrobe of like gender affirming clothes that I like have gotten really cheap, which is so great. And I didn't have to like go and try it on at a store and feel like I was in kind of have like weird stuff with a dressing room and feeling not very confident in myself. Like this actually was perfect. So I was like, Megan, can we pitch to them that like, rather than this being the classic thing of, I got a load of clothes for me that like we find one of my audience to and like give them the fun gift card and like have them be able to pick stuff out. So we're like yeah. currently trying to get thread up to get on board with that. So yeah, she's just been so amazing. Um, and it has been like, I literally couldn't have done it without um, having Megan on board. So chef's kiss essentially big fan yes we love megan we love megan (laughs) and you know again those managed all of the managers on the whaler talent side that you know are Mm -hmm. helping creators bring their their ideas to fruition and being advocates and like i said taking a lot of the pressure off even when it comes down to something like day-to-day comms or like you said navigating those conversations to make something be even more aligned to your brand um, than ever expected. That's so, that's so cool. Absolutely. And um, also just, just, just there when I'm having a moment of like, <laughs> like, okay, hang on, wait, what month were we doing that thing with that brand? And like the ADHD brain thing again, um, and being really open to like, essentially me turning up and being like, Hey, so I'm really into notion now. Can we figure out like the best way to communicate through notion? Like, can we do this thing? Like kind of just making sure that I'm, uh, actually remember what's going on and what I'm meant to be doing, um, is always great because I fully otherwise would just completely forget what I'm meant to be doing that. Oh, wait, I've got a TikTok thing I need to film and all this stuff. But now she's just like, I've already put it in the notion, Rowan. Don't worry about it. Like it's already there. Check the notion. I'm like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Megan. Oh You're my helpful. gosh. I love that. Incredible. Incredible. So tell me this, what are you and Megan working on now? Like what are your aspirations of, of the future? Um, so we've been talking about merch stuff, which was something that I was kind of like, oh, I guess we could see, but there's a couple of ideas that we have that I think could be really exciting that are a little bit different to typical merch that we're hoping to do a couple of drops this year and try out. Cause I've never done merch before. So I'm like, I guess we'll just see how mm-hmm. it goes. Very kind of chill, no pressure. Let's give it a go. Um, and then also potentially a more long form, more produced, actually have people that aren't me trying to work a camera, like very inexpertly <laughs> doing lighting just with one box light, which is my current setup. Um, for a more sustained sort of like documentary funded documentary on, um, a group Mm. of activists called the blood sisters, um, who were lesbians who donated blood during the AIDS crisis when queer men were not like allowed to donate blood. Um, and these women were like, we do not have 
like we're, we're just the poor women. Like we don't have resources. We don't have money to donate. We don't have anything, but we have blood. Um, and so they right. would like go and sit with these men wow. whose families had abandoned them. They would like do these drives where hundreds of lesbians would turn up to donate blood. And it was like amazing. But I'm like very, very aware, which I talk about a lot on my channel about like queer history and how it's not been preserved mm-hmm. properly. And it's not really taught that, this was going on in the 80s, which however much I in my head think the 80s was 20 years ago, because I fully still think the year 2000 is where we're at. It was 40 years ago, totally. um, yes. which means a lot of these women, um, sadly, will not be here uh, potentially in, in the years to come. Uh, and so this feels like one of those like last chance to get uh, to speak to them firsthand and to get their stories down because for some some wild reason this is a story that's never been told on film either documentary or fiction uh, kind of as far as we can tell at least not as like a concentrated uh, kind of singular topic so we're kind of tentatively looking and seeing if there's like funding that we might be able to look into to try and make that happen as well which is very exciting that is extremely exciting and I am on the edge of my seat to hear the storytelling behind that because again there's just so much um there's just so many stories and important stories that need to be told and like you said um I think everyone's starting to wake up and understand that uh, there has been a very specific narrative that's been on on blast for thousands of years that someone needs to take the mic and say, but wait, there's this, there's so much more. There's so, so, so much more. And how Mm -hmm. we ended up, no matter what nation you live in, there are so many stories that are untold that help that nation get to where where it is now and had pivotal moments at um, really important times in society that again, have gone untold. So I'm again, the way that you are a storyteller, I am always on the edge of my seat. Rowan, I learned, have learned so much from watching your videos and Let's talk about your book, though. Like, we can't just, like, skim by that. Um, Oh, no, I wrote a book. Yeah, you wrote a whole book. You wrote a whole book, Rowan, um, called Here and Queer, just released. I was checking out the reviews. Congratulations. People are raving about it. Thank you. I mean, Yeah, I was was stressed about that, but it's, knock on wood, the reviews are good. So I I didn't mess up yeah boy did you not like you yeah you crushed it and so tell me how did you how did you get into that and how did you understand or like why did you decide here I'm going to start that over Jeff so I want to know more about how you understood that you wanted to write this book as a queer girl to queer girls so I got approached by the publisher actually um at the start of 2020 about a totally different book and they were like we're gonna pitch it in March and then March of 2020 happened and they were like we are not pitching anything uh and I was like peace cool that's great no worries um and then at the kind of like at the end of 2020 they came back and were like we have a different idea um they were like the idea is just like a book for queer girls so they'd previously published a book for queer boys um by another youtuber called Riyadh and uh Mm. they were like we kind of want to do something for girls because we kind of had a lot of feedback from that book like how much girls would really love an alternative so they were like can you just come up with what that book would include can you come up with like the different sections give us some information about what you'd include um so essentially a a book proposal so I was like that uh sounds great yes so uh wrote the book proposal and they the way that it works if a uh, someone internally in a publisher wants to commission something they'll go to 
an author or like a write, potential writers, they'll get them to, to write up a book proposal and a sample writing. Um, and then they'll take it internally to their kind of commissioning team to, um, and their acquisitions team to see if they actually want it, if this person's any good. So I was like, please don't hate it. Um, and they liked it. Uh, and so then they were like, oh yeah, so we're going to send you over the contract, um, next week. And I was like, oh, I need to get an agent like really quick because I do not know anything about contracts. Um, but literary agents, um, the normal way that you get them when writing a nonfiction book, which this which this is, is that you write a book proposal, which is a lot more involved. Uh, and they will sign you up with the idea that you, they will then be taking that proposal to multiple publishers, um, that they'll be trying to get the best deal for you, all this kind of stuff. So I was very stressed because I was really worried that these mm. agents would be like, if you're, if you have to go with this publisher, there's not really much room for negotiation. Like if they didn't like that mm. publisher or they didn't want to work with them, I was like, Oh God, this isn't going to work. Um, and also I was like, how do I essentially email an agent being like, urgent, important, please read without seeming like the most pushy, annoying person in the world. Um, so mm -hmm. I ended up literally WhatsApping every single person I knew being like a little baby being like, does this sound okay? Like, how do I email anyone? Um, and so like sent out so many emails to agents and, um, uh, heard back from a lot of them and got offers from a lot of them uh -huh. actually, which I was very, um, kind of created a new, um, very lovely problem, which was who to go with. Um, and ended mm. up, uh, finding amazing. my aging, amazing agent, um, who was also excited about like potential future projects and all of that jazz, which is what you would love to hear. Uh, and so, yeah, essentially wrote this book in record time. Um, and then, had to wait for so long before it came out. Publishing is so slow. Uh, you know, even though I worked <laughs> in publishing, I worked on the marketing end. So I essentially just knew about uh, a book when it was about to be published. So as far as I was uh -huh. concerned, even working in publishing, I was like, I found out about a book. It's published two months later, as opposed to like, I wrote a book. It comes out two years later. Um, wow. so yeah, it was a long, a long time, but I'm so, so proud of it. We got, um, a review from Kirkus, which is like the big trade, fancy review place that gave it a starred review which is like their seal of excellence and I was like wow having a heart attack when that email came through <gasps> just like trying to be calm um yeah all the reviews <laughs> seem to be really really nice so I'm just so I'm so happy with how it turned out we got some amazing we had an amazing illustrator Jackie Sheridan who like the whole thing is very very illustrated it's all color beautiful um vibrant diverse illustrations and then we um which involved a lot of me scanning over the pages and being like, can we have some more deaf characters in here? Can we have like, I feel like I just have like friends mm -hmm. with canes. Can we have some canes? Can we have a rollator? Someone in a wheelchair? Like, can we have this? Like, anyone got Star of David in this book yet? Like, it's very, it was very like, let's just nice. every queer girl that I've ever met. Let's just have them in the book. Um, and so we also had four guest essays from some it. amazing, uh, amazing queer people who um, wrote about everything from like finding community to their experiences with religion, to their experiences with mm -hmm. friendship or relationships or love or just a, a bunch of things that they wanted to talk about. Um, we kind of gave them a really free reign to, to say like, Hey, if you were 
if you were like a younger and you picked up a book and you wanted to see an essay or a piece of writing from someone that really resonated with you, that made you feel seen, like what would you write? And so they've written these kind of essays that are dotted through the book to that, which is really exciting to me. Um, Sierra, essentially, it's like a guide, a guide to life for queer girls, like a whistle stop tour. We've got resources at the end, like further reading, further watching, where to go next if this is of interest. Um, And yeah, it seems to be doing, seems to be being received well. So that's great. I've definitely gone into a few bookshops really awkwardly tried to find it on shelves so that I can just feel like an author. Um, and then I keep not being able to figure out where it is on shelves because it's a bit of a, it's like YA, but nonfiction. So I'm constantly having to like ask booksellers really awkwardly, like, um, sorry, I wrote a, I wrote a book. Where would it be? Like, this is the most cringe thing to have to ask someone like, I please do not perceive me. Um, but I'm like so proud of it and I'm so happy. And I love um, that hopefully get to do more writing stuff in the future um in between kind of youtube writing which is most of my time i'm well i have no doubt in my mind at all that you will be doing that because again like again congratulations because that is like no small feat from guiding young girls to choosing pronouns to you know navigating different labels and identities you are again i'm just what a, you're the perfect person to help people understand how to take control of their identity. And I'm, again, just so excited for you and so glad that you're doing that. I think it was really important. I think especially like the U- the UK is having some uh, real issues with like um, transphobia and, and this kind of stuff in the mainstream, which I don't think necessarily reflects like the reality of um, queer communities that I've been in, um, but it's frustratingly loud. So um I think it was just really important to me to be like, this is a trans inclusive book. Like this is a book just for anyone where if the phrase queer girl vibes with you or might vibe with you, if you're kind of like, maybe that's like sort of how I feel or like, I don't, maybe I am a girl or I feel like a queer girl sometimes like that. This is the vibe of the book. It's not kind of, it's like an expansive definition rather than being like very exclusive. Um, which I think was kind of important to mention. So I think kind of t- I talk about that in the introduction and make that super clear um, that, you know, there's no expectation of what like a queer girl's body looks like or what your, you know, religion is or how you might express your gender or like anything like that. It's very uh, kind of open because that's, you know, my experience with with queerness and girlhood and, and all of that messy stuff like I over the years and with friends and that's felt kind of way more genuine and honest than something that was like a weird trying to like cookie cutter queerness into like manageable pieces and and make it really neat uh it's a little bit more more messy than that which i think can only be a good thing We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard and will come along with us as we navigate this journey to the promised land of the creator economy. Make sure to subscribe or follow our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to listen to audio. And of course, we'd love a rating and review if you get the chance. And of course, I have to send a special shout out to Rowan. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. If we've piqued your interest, make sure to check out more from Whaler and all things at the intersection of a talent network, brand partnerships, technology, and creativity at whaler.com. And be sure to join our community by following us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. For everything is better with creators, I'm Ashley Rudder. We'll catch you next time. 
Everything is Better with Creators is produced by Whaler. Whaler, we power the creator economy. Learn more at whaler.com. Whaler, Adweek's 2022 Creator Agency of the Year.